All right. Welcome to this episode of Tell Me Your Story. Uh, my name is Ray Frosto. I'm your host. And today we got a special guest. His name is Horatio Cruz. Welcome, Horatio. Hey, Ray. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for inviting me over. Well, you're welcome. 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 Glad you're here with us today. And, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. So currently I'm 50 years old. I turn 51 next week on September Whoa. 28th. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm, I'm married to a beautiful wife. We'll hit 20 years of marriage next year. Uh, I, you know, we have, we have two boys together, uh, Christian who is 16 and Dan, Daniel, who is 14. I also have a, uh, a 28 year old daughter. Uh, let's see. So my life has pretty much been miracle after miracle. If I'm, if I'm going to be completely honest with the way the Lord has done things in my life, uh, you know, from literally from the time I was born until the day today, I can say God has been good, man. That, that's awesome to hear. And, you know, um, this is such a good opportunity. Now, I, I know when you talk to me about sharing your story, and I, we, I asked you, you would share and you were so obedient and willing to do it. I, I got excited. I said, yeah, this is going to be good. That's awesome. Well, let, you know, let's let's go ahead and start this off. So, you know, hey, this is what we're here for. You're going to share your story. Thank you for introducing your family to uh, for opening your doors, your life to us, and sharing what God has done in your life. And, you know, without further ado, you know, hey, Horatio, tell me your story. I was born on September 28, 1969. That's my birthday, but that's also when God first started working in my life. And I mean, literally. So when I say literally, it's because when I was first born, I, uh, there was a lot of complications in the delivery to the point where my mom was in the hospital paralyzed from the waist down for two weeks after I was born. I was a big baby. I was 10 pounds. Um, the doctor pulled my dad to the side after, after I was born, uh, immediately. And he said, Hey, look, man, um, you know, they were like, my dad said they were scrambling back and forth and different doctors were coming in to check on me. And, and the doctor said, hey, look, man, uh, not in those exact words, obviously, it's a doctor. But he was like, uh, I don't think your son's going to make it. My dad was confused, right? Because the pregnancy had gone well and everything. He was like, what's going on? I don't understand. And this, that, the other. Now, a little bit about my dad. My dad is, has never been a believer. Um, and my mom was not a believer. So that's just a little tidbit I wanted to throw in there. Um, so the doctor says, hey, look, man, we, we've we've run a lot of tests and your son's heart did inform completely. Um, it was working off one valve and the heart had informed. So there was a huge complication there. They had me in all this machinery, whatever. My dad was heartbroken. I'm my, I'm my father's only son. So my dad was heartbroken. He didn't know what to do. So my dad ran into the chapel <clears throat> and he's, he started crying out to the Lord without knowing God. He cried out and he said, Lord, this is my son, my only son. I just wish that you would have mercy and this, that, the other. And he prayed, not knowing how to pray. He just called out to God. And the reason I say God has had his hand on my life since I was born is because they were scheduling cardiologists. They were going to put me on a, <clears throat> on a list for all these surgeries and see if they could get a donor heart because the doctor basically said I wasn't going to make it. The next day, when my dad comes back, 
Um, he spent the night in the chapel. He says he fell asleep in there. Um, the next day he comes back and he sees the doctor and the doctor's looking for him and whatever. And he sees the doctor. He's like, what's going on? What's going on? Because he saw all these, all these people coming in and out and scratching their heads. And they were like, what's going on? And he said, sir, I don't, I don't know how to explain this to you other than your son, his heart completely formed overnight. So needless to say, I was a miracle baby. Um, my dad, yeah. So my dad was super encouraged with that, whatever. And, you know, started visiting a church here, a church there. Um, you know, life went on. I think that kind of, that impacted my father, but not to the point where he was willing to commit to the Lord. And I don't think he knew how, because he had never been around that. So growing up, my childhood was, was pretty normal for a non-Christian home. Uh, my parents were never at peace. And I don't mean that no non-Christian home is ever not at peace. But in our case, it was always fights. My dad would drink a lot. My mom at, at, uh, was into Santeria, which is a form of witchcraft, this, that, the other. And, you know, my brother and my sister that my mom had from a previous marriage, we're, we're all, we were all living together with my dad. My dad was very abusive toward my mom, both physically and verbally. The same with my brother and sister. Uh, me, I can honestly say my father has never hit me. And that's a big one because I was a bad kid, man. When I say, um, or I should say when the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child, I was the epitome of that. Um, I was a spoiled brat, and I thought I could get away with anything and everything. I was super mischievous. Um, getting on with it. Uh, so my mom, or backtrack, sorry. We lived in Bucktown, which isn't the Bucktown in Chicago that you know that's there today. Now it's all yuppie, million-dollar homes, all this nice stuff. Back then, it was the hood. There were gangs, drugs, you name it. It was everywhere there. Um, I never got involved in the gangs. I never got involved in the drugs. Uh, thank God. Um, so that was our neighborhood. Um, my dad owned a two-flat there. Weird how God works. I think it's beautiful because... Our second floor, we were renting it out and the people moved and my dad wanted to get somebody in there quickly. And the first person that came to him was a pastor that was pastoring a church that was around the corner from, from our house. So the pastor moves upstairs and his wife kind of, you know, befriends my mom and they start talking little by little. My mom starts visiting church. She starts putting away all her nonsense of Santeria and idols and all this nonsense she got rid of everything and gave her life to the lord and so my mom got saved i think i was like maybe nine ten years old uh my my brother and sister they're both older than me both of them started going to church they get saved i was kind of the one i would visit when my mom would force me and but i really didn't want to have anything to do with it if i was there i was the kid in the back of the church throwing paper chewing gum sticking gum on the bottom of the bench don't ever do that please if you go to church um yeah i was that kid i was the one that everybody was like oh boy this guy's a headache uh when i was 13 years old my parents split my mom moved uh to a different neighborhood uh 
I moved with my mom. My dad quickly, within I'd say six months, remarried. Uh, he didn't waste any time. Um, my mom ma maintained faithful to the Lord. And uh, this next neighborhood we moved to was rougher than mine. Um, it was kind of eye-opening. In that neighborhood, I saw, you know, people get stabbed, people get shot, a lot of gang activity. Uh, I pretty much stayed away from that. I knew I knew the guys from the block after a while, but I kept my distance. Like uh, I had a pretty good group of friends. Uh, all of us pretty much were the same. Like we didn't we, we didn't get involved in gangs, drugs, or drinking. That was kind of our mantra. Um, they used they used to call me the angel. I said, "Oh, this guy thinks he's an angel because he doesn't do this, that, or the other." Uh, yeah, but. Even though I wasn't into drugs, dr drugs, gangs, and drinking, I, I was mischievous, man. I was, uh, at, if I were to, to go back, I would say a key point in my life is at five years old, my father exposed me to pornography. He was like, oh, this is what men do, and this, that, the other, da, da, da. So from a young age, like, the way I looked at young at girls or women was wrong. It was very ungodly, very immoral. Um, by the time, you know, I moved with my mom, 13, 14 years old, um, it was just, you know, girls, I looked at them as body parts, to be 100% honest. It was horrible. Um, at 15 years old, 16 years old, I decided I was going to drop out of school. Uh, even though my mom was totally against it and she let me feel it very many times. Uh, I would sign up for school, wouldn't go. It, it was a bad deal. I was on my way to becoming a statistic. If you look at it, you know, a, a kid from a divorced family in a, in a drug gang infested neighborhood dropped out of school. Luckily God had other plans for me. So as my mother kept going to church, my sister was going, my brother was going, they're both older, as I said. Uh, one day my, my sister says, hey, my friend said to say hi to you. My sister's friend, who was also engaged. Uh, I was like 18 at this point. Uh, and I was like, really? I'm like, yeah, until I said, what's up, this, that, the other. She's like, yeah, you should, you should, you should come visit. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, whatever. So I was like, okay. You know, at that time, I thought I thought the girl was pretty or whatever. And I was like, all right, I'll go, you know. And I was like, I went, I visited. You know, she's engaged to somebody who was the youth leader's brother who lived upstairs from the church. He didn't go to church. And I went, and, you know, it'd be flirting back and forth, little things here and there, whatever, whatever. I started going to church more and more just to see her. You know, if someone were to ask me what the preaching was about, I had no clue. Um, after a while, there was a, we used to have a youth convention at the church where other churches would come. They'd invite preachers or whatever. And this was my first experience with Jesus. And I remember I was sitting in the back of the church and the preacher was preaching about how when, when Peter had betrayed Jesus and his focus was on when Peter's eyes met Jesus after he denied him the third time. 
And for some reason, he started talking about how one day we, too, are going to have to look into those eyes and give an account. And I don't know why that day, God knows, but my heart felt like it was going to come out of my chest and tears start welling up. And I'm like, what is going on with me? I didn't come here for this, you know, whatever. I don't want to be one of these fanatics. And slowly but surely, they started, the altar call started hitting. They were singing the song. And the preacher just kept saying, why are you resisting Jesus? You know he's calling you. Why are you being difficult? He loves you. In my mind, I kept resisting, saying, he doesn't love me. He doesn't even know me. And But even though I said that in my head, my heart was telling me something completely different and it shattered. I remember I went to the front, I was bawling on the altar. They were praying for me. A lot of the youth were rejoicing, you know, hey, look, this guy's been visiting forever. And, and I was like, man, this feels good, man. They prayed for me and I felt like different. So I, I keep going to church, right? And at this point, I'm starting to get interested in things. God's doing a work inside of me that's starting to change the way I look at things, the way I say things, the way I talk, the way I act, the people I hang out with. Now, instead of hanging out with my friends on the block, I wanted to be at church every service. And it wasn't just for the girl, even though that was a part of it. Uh, so I remember... Her and her fiance, something happened. They got into some kind of fight and broke up. And I was like, oh, okay. Now, knowing what I know now, the correct path would have been leave her alone, let her heal, let God deal with her, whatever. Nope. I, I went after her like easy prey in my mind. Uh, we started dating shortly thereafter. Um, we started dating. Uh, there was uh, fornication going on at this point between she and I. It was it was becoming a mess. The the enemy was using all of the things that I used to look at girls for, again against me, and I let him. Or I should say, I gave in to the temptation. Um, we were basically playing church. She would lead worship. I was playing drums, but we were fornicating. Um, it, it was terrifying to me at a time. But I remember uh, when preachers would come to the church, they would preach. And even though I was sinning, even though I was acting a fool, even though I was playing church, every day I would go home and after they preached, I would, I would go home and I'd read a chapter of the Bible exactly where they preached. Every day, even though I was sinning, I was like, knowing I was wrong, indulging in the flesh, but yet, for some reason, I kept reading my Bible like I wouldn't stop. It almost became like an obsession to me. And little by little, right, I'm like, I'm like, you know what, man, I'm playing church. I'm messing up this, that, the other. You know, we're doing this, we're doing that. Then we're going to church and acting holy. This is wrong. I'm like, but you know what? 
I thought to myself, I'm going to beat the devil at his own game. I'm going to marry this girl. That way it's not fornication. It's within the bounds of marriage. I'm going to be good. So we got engaged. Uh, everything was set. Her uh, ex-boyfriend hated me because he blamed me for them breaking up, so on and so forth. And I mean, hated me, but with a passion. And like I said, he lived upstairs from church. There was a, there was a night we were going to do a play in church. Well, we did a play in church and it was about a backslidden kid and this, that, the other. And they asked me to be in it. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, no big deal. Um, he was in service that night. And there were a whole bunch of churches that came to see this play with us. And uh, that night I was sitting in the, in the back of church after the play was done and the preacher was, was doing the altar call, this, that, the other. Or before he began the altar call, I saw her ex get up from his seat walked to the middle 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 aisle and he looked kind of confused and the preacher started praying and making an altar call and he ended up going to the altar and this is significant and i'm gonna get to it in a second um he went to the altar and he was uh he was demon possessed and for people that don't believe in that kind of thing i promise you it's real i've seen it with my own eyes it's not something you just see in the movies he was demon possessed. Now I was still a baby Christian and I was messed up. Um, they pray for him. They rebuke the demon. They get, you know, demon comes out. Now I just saw this guy who hates me be demon possessed in the front. I'm, st I'm in the back of the church and I'm watching this. And I, I remember feeling this terror from seeing this. And I'm like, whoa. He gets up from the floor, first words out of his mouth, he says, where's Horatio? And one of the youth come back and get me, hey, come up here, so-and-so's calling you. And I was like, what? I'm not going up there. I saw what just happened. And uh, they're like, no, man, go up there. It's different. And I'm like, all right. So I go up there, this guy, looks me in the eye, puts his arms up, gives me the biggest hug. Just said, Horatio, I love you. And I'm sorry. And I didn't, I didn't put two and two together. When we talked later, he was like, that night, I was going to kill you. I'm like, what? You mean we were going to fight? He's like, no, you don't understand. You, I used to go home around the corner from the church. I lived, and I would take the alley. He said, when I got up from my seat, I was getting ready to go get my gun. I was going to shoot you. On your way home in the alley, I was going to throw your body in the sewer. But again, God intervenes. Yeah. Um, so me and this girl are still together. We're engaged. We're still messing up. We're still sinning. I remember my dad. We were getting close to the wedding. Uh, we were like, I think it was like a month out. And my dad sat me down. I, I went to go see my dad. And he lived he lived on a block, half a block from the church. And I was sitting there and he was like, he was like, how do you feel, man? You're getting ready to get married. It's a big step. How do you feel? I'm like, oh, pop, you know, I'm really excited. This, that, the other. And my dad said some words to me. Like I said, my dad's not a believer. And he, 
he said some words to me that, that stuck with me. Like, even to this day, it's like I could, I could hear him clear as day. He said, son, look, I know more about women than you will ever know in your life. He goes, and I promise you, that's not a girl you want to marry. He said, I'm not going to talk bad about her, but that's not a girl you want to marry. I'm like, Pop, you don't know her like I do. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. He goes, I'm going to back you up no matter what you do. But I'm telling you, you're making a mistake. So I left mad, right? And uh, I was like, man, this guy, he just doesn't know her, man. He doesn't know her. Now, while we were dating and engaged and everything, the same way she was flirtatious with me, she was a very flirtatious person. It's not to bash her. That's just who she was. She was very flirtatious. She loved to have guys' attention. So kind of like when you're in a relationship, you don't really see these things or you kind of blind yourself to these things, even though there's huge red flags going on. My mom was the next one. My mom pulled me and she was like, you're going to make a mistake, son. And I'm like, mom, trust me, you don't know her like I do. She's like, I probably know her better than you do. My friends would tell me, they're like, bro, you're making a mistake. Um, and I was like, no, you just don't know. Then another bomb falls on me. My mom gets diagnosed with leukemia. And I'm like, oh, man. So I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. I'm dealing with this now. This is another thing. Then my pastor pulls me. He's like, come here, we need, we need to talk. And I'm like, yeah, sure, pastor, what can I do for you? And this, that, the other. He's like, no, we need to talk. It's serious. And I'm like, okay. He's like, look, I know you guys are engaged. And at this time, like you said in your story, there was no premarital counseling. There was none of that. So uh, he pulls me and he's like, are you sure this is what you want to do? He goes, you guys are young. I mean, I was 19. She was 18. And I'm like, yes, pastor, you know, I love her. And, you know, this is what I want to do. And he's like, I think you should pray about it. He told me, and I was like, oh boy. I'm thinking to myself, man, here's another one. And uh, so everyone and their mama's telling me, hey, this, that, the other, you know, you got to be careful. I don't know about this. And everyone had their doubts. And you know what, if I could sidetrack just for a second here, I want to, if people listening to this, especially young people, can I give you a bit of advice? When enough people who you know love you are all telling you the same thing, stop and just listen. Don't think you know better than everybody because when you're in a relationship sometimes, you know, the Bible says uh, foolish is the heart above all things. And it's so true. Um, so we're going on, right? My mom's going through leukemia. She's, she's going to start her chemo. All this is going to a head. Um, two weeks before we're going to get married, we're in church. And it wasn't enough that my dad told me, my mom told me, my pastor told me, my friends told me. God uses this preacher who didn't know me, didn't know my situation. In prophecy, clear as day, two weeks before the wedding says. You want her with blonde hair and green eyes. That is not the one I have for you. Described her to the T. She was in the service. Her parents were in the service. I was in the service. My pastor was in the service. All eyes burned right through me. 
And I was like, man. At the end of service, after all this, right? God moved, God spoke. And it was clear as day it was God because no one else in the church was getting married. I go, we're, I'm in the back of the church and she comes and sits next to me. And I'm like, and she's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you know, well, you heard what they said and this, that, the other. And I was like, you know what? Let me pray about it. First of all, if God already said, what is there to pray about? So I pray about it and I'm this, that, the other. Nothing stops. We go through with it. Two weeks later, we're married. We get married. And when I tell you it was bad, you talk about two ungodly young knuckleheads. And I start with myself. Getting married, everything that could go wrong went wrong. We were constantly arguing. We were constantly cursing each other out. Everything went wrong. Everything from beginning to end. I'm like, this is insane. What are we doing? Argument, argument, argument. One thing, another. It's always something. And I'm like, what in the world? After two weeks of being married, she leaves. She's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm moving back in with my mom. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. She goes. She's living with her mom for like a week. She won't even talk to me. She won't take my call. She don't want to have nothing to do with me. My, her mom's like, just give her space. Let's see what happens. At the same time, I'm dealing with my mom's thing. You know, every time I walk into church, everyone's looking at me like, yeah, we told you. So I'm dealing with this. I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, after a week, she calls me. She's like, yeah, we're pregnant. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, we're pregnant and this, that, the other. And I'm like, all right, you know, well, let's try to work things out. You know, now there's a baby involved, whatever. Um, she's like, all right. So she comes back home and we're talking. We're trying to, you know, things kind of calm down a little bit through the pregnancy. Um, then. We got married like in April, February of the following year. My daughter was born. Uh, this year, 1992, aside from my daughter being born, was one of the most difficult years of my life. In a 12-month in a period, you're going to see a cycle of life go on in a short 12 months. February, my daughter was born. Um, August of that same year, my mom passes away from leukemia. December of that same year, my dad retires and sells the house and moves to Puerto Rico. February of that following year, she leaves with my daughter. She doesn't want to have nothing more to do with me. She has moved on. Um, she has someone else in her life now. It was, when I say it was a mess, it was a mess. I remember... After she left, when she first left, uh, my brother was like, dude, all I did was cry. Uh, I didn't want to eat. I was super depressed. My brother's like, bro, I'm moving in your house. My brother was still single. He's like, I'm moving in with you. I don't, you know, you're not right in the head right now. This, that, the other. Um, all I would do is I would play basketball 
to pass the time and distract myself. Um, and I had gotten injured. I had hurt my hip and whatever. And I remember one night I was laying down and I was, you know, my brother was asleep. It was like one in the morning. And I remember I got mad at God. And I was, I remember I was like, Lord, there's people in the world that, that have successful marriages. You know, they don't seek you. They don't love you. They don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, I was trying to serve you. I was, you know, reading my Bible. I was praying after the marriage, this, that, the other, and involved in certain ministries, and look how you did me, this, that, the other, you know, I look back now, and I'm like, man, if I was God, I'd be like, dude, I warned you, so that night, I was like, I mean, I really allowed the enemy to speak into, into, into my mind that night, and into my heart, and I, I had lost all hope, all hope, and I remember I had had an injury from basketball and they had prescribed me Tylenol with codeine, Tylenol 3. And I went and I was like, you know what, Lord, I want nothing more to do with you. I am done. And, you know, I knew what the consequences were going to be if this happened. And I went, I took the bottle of Tylenol 3 and I downed the whole thing. Drank it, drank the water. And I said, I'm going to bed. If I never wake up, so be it. The power of God is so powerful that the next day, the next day, all it did to me was mess up my stomach. You know, I had talked to some people, the amount of codeine that I had in my system, it probably could have killed me. And uh, I look back now and I'm like, wow, the mercy of God is so great. Um, some time passed, a couple months passed, I wasn't doing good at all. I mean. I had walked away from the Lord. I mean, my pastor one day, I remember it was a Sunday morning after Bible school. They used to do Bible school in the morning then a service at night. Right after Bible school, I woke up. That man was sitting on the foot of my bed. And he was like, Horatio, what are you doing? You're going you're gonna to let the enemy destroy you. God has a plan for you. Don't let this happen. And I had a lot of respect for him. I would never you know, disrespect. I was just like, pastor, you know, I'm just going through something. Just pray for me. Left it at that. I called my dad. I told him what happened. You know, I thought my dad was going to be like, I told you so. My dad was like, nope, come here. I went, I stayed with him in Puerto Rico for some months. Uh, I was there for, I think it was like six months. My dad, when he first saw me, he cried because he, he saw me. I was 135 pounds, if that, skin and bones. He was like, it's okay. You know, everything's going to be okay. If you're here, let's just get you through. You'll be fine. So I go to Puerto Rico. And that's a whole, that was the first time I've ever been to Puerto Rico. It was a whole new environment for me. Um, I had cousins. They didn't know the Lord. Uh, so my cousin, he and I got really tight. We'd go, we'd go to the beach every day, you know, hang out, whatever. Um, I started meeting girls. And uh, because I was so hurt, it was like every time I talked to a girl, every time I hung out with a girl or something happened with a girl, I always felt like I was getting back at her. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll show you. Even though she hadn't, she didn't know. Nor did she, nor would she have cared, but 
in my mind, I was like, I'm getting back at her every time I did something stupid. Um, I was in Puerto Rico for six months. After, after six months, um, this a lady that lived on the backside of the church, the church had two apartments up top. It was uh, my ex's ex and the youth, the youth leader and their family lived on the front side and this missionary lived on the back. I mean, I won't say her name, but she helped take care of my mom when my mom was really bad. And I didn't know that she had told my, told my mom, I will look out for your son, don't worry. Cause I was always my mom's worry. So when I was there for six months, she, she was like, she reached out and she said, hey, you know what? I think it's time for you to come back. You know, I have an extra room here. You could stay with me. I don't need anything from you, you know? And uh, she extended her home to me and she was like, I want you to come back. Your daughter's still here. Your daughter still needs you. Forget about everything else. Think about her. So I came back. I stayed with her for a while and I, I really tried, like, I tried to focus on the things of God and I couldn't. Uh, the, the enemy's a great accuser. Like he loves to come at you with stuff and throw your past at you and things you've done. I mean, the word of God is so true because it says it would have been better for them to not have known the ways of righteousness than to have known them and turned their back on the sacrifice. And I was like, that's so true because I came back and I was trying to go to church. You know, I'm, I'm staying with a, with, a, with a missionary, so I can't act a fool because I had so much respect for this woman. Um, so I, I'm working, I'm, I'm going to church, but little by little, it's just like I was at the church, but everything at the church, her family was still going there. Uh, Everything reminded me, and it was miserable. Um, I stopped going to church. After a while, I got an apartment with my brother. And uh, things went from bad to worse in my life when I talk about my rebelliousness. Um, at this point, I started clubbing. I was in the clubs every Friday, every Saturday. And if there was a holiday, I was there again. Um, I still never drank. But the group of friends I was with, they were big drinkers and stuff like that. Uh, I was always in the Spanish clubs. Uh, which is funny because uh, within that environment, every once in a while, God would throw me a little reminder of who he is. There was a certain song, and it's, it's still out there. Um, it's called Todo Poderoso. And every time they would play that in the Spanish clubs, I would freeze. It was like the hairs on my body would stand on end. Regardless of who I was with, regardless of who I was dancing with or hanging with or what girl was on my arm, it didn't matter. It was always a little reminder, hey, hey. And I was like, all right. So as I was clubbing, you know, my reason for going to the clubs was just to meet girls. That was it. That was it. I had indulged, I'm indulging in the flesh at this point. 
I don't care about anything else. It's always a girl hunt. Um, the day that changes everything while I'm clubbing, right? Uh, it was uh, February 28th of 97. I see this girl, she walks in the club. She's with a friend and an older lady. Uh, she catches my eye like right away. I'm like, wow, this is the most beautiful woman I think I've ever seen in my life. But I was intimidated. So I told one of my boys, hey, go, go ask her friend to dance. And then when you ask her, she'll be stuck on the dance floor by herself and I'll go step in. So I go and I start dancing with her and we're talking. Turns out that the older lady that's with her is her mom because she's only 19 and was not legally able to go to the club unless her mom filled out a little paper that said she's not going to drink or do anything dumb. At this point, I am, what, 27 years old? Um, that is my current wife, by the way, which is why I refer to her as the most beautiful woman in the world, because she is. And uh, yes, and uh, so back then it wasn't cell phones. I gave her my pager number. I'm like, man, page me. I would love to get to know you better, you know. I knew a little from dancing with her so much. I got a little bit about her, what her name was, where, not where she lived, but where she went to school. She was in college at that time. And uh, she had, um, she had lost my number when she left the club. It was fine. I ran into her, her friend again at another, another Spanish event. It was called Merengaso at the Aragon Ballroom. I was like, hey, I've been looking for you guys. I haven't seen your friend, you know, whatever. And she's like, she lost your number. Can I have it again? I'll make sure she calls you. I was like, yes, please. I give her my number. You know, I had, I had talked, I had been with so many girls and it was like just hearing her on the phone, it was different. Just her vocabulary was different. All the other girls was like, hey, what's up? You know, this, that, the other. She was like, hey, how are you? And I was like, whoa, different. Um, she we start talking more and more and more and more and more and more. And I was like, hey, why don't we hang out one day? So one day, you know, uh, we go to Lincoln Park Zoo and we're hanging out there. Um, things escalate, we start dating. And I'm like, wow, this girl's different. I remember uh, when I met her, I had uh, these fake blue contacts that in the club look real. I had uh, hoop earrings. I thought I was the stuff. And I remember uh, the first day I walked in her house when she was introducing me to her mom and brother and whatever. Um, her mom looks at me and she's like, before you walk in my house, you need to take those earrings off. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I took the earrings off, you know, we were dating, right? Everything was cool, you know, it was a secular relationship. She had never known the Lord. She was born and raised Catholic. Her family had never known the Lord. She was from a divorced family. Um, we were dating for probably like a year. Now, mind you, this is the first girl during this time now from my from my ex and everything going bad over there to this, there's like a, a good five, six year period. Um, during those five, six years, I never let a woman get close to me. Uh, whatever happened between us, I was very blunt and very rude in the sense of don't ever tell me you love me. I do not want love. I don't want anything to do with it. Um, this was the first person I had talked to 
that I was open to knowing that, you know what, love can be real again. Um, never felt threatened by her whatsoever in that aspect. Uh, long story short, like I said, she'd never known the Lord. I remember one day she was going to pick up her brother in high school. He was, he was, he was a senior in high school that time. Um, she was going to pick him up and she was looking for this Spanish radio station. And instead of 1200, which was a Spanish radio station, she happened upon 1240, which was a Christian radio station where they were preaching the word of God. She stumbled across it. She heard them speaking in Spanish and she thought to herself, oh, maybe this is just a commercial. But then the more she heard, she had never heard the gospel before. But for some reason, when she heard this, she starts crying. She picks up her brother. She's all distraught. She gets home. She calls me at work. I'm like, whoa, okay. So I pick, I remember I was sitting at my desk. She, she calls me. I pick up the phone. She's like, she's like bawling. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I thought something happened. And she's like, I don't know. I was listening and they were talking about God. And for some reason I started crying and this, that, the other. And I know you used to go to church because I told her my, you know. And she's like, you got to explain this to me. We need to talk. You need to come to my house after work. And I was like, oh, man. I was like, all right. So I hung up the phone. And I remember I looked up at the ceiling at work. And I said, I told you I don't want to have anything to do with you. Leave me alone. So that day I get out of work. I go to her house. And it's her, me, and her brother sitting at the table in the kitchen. And she's like, explain this to me. What happened? Am I going crazy or what? And I'm like, no, I don't think you're going crazy. I go, maybe God has a plan for your life. I don't know what it is. And for some reason, when I started talking to her, you know, I, I was kind of able to relate to Jeremiah when he said, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire a fire shut up in my bones. I am worthy of, weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And I kind of started spilling out the gospel and what the gospel is. And for some reason, although I had told God, leave me alone, at that moment, I started feeling like a joy. And I was like, man, this is weird. And all I wanted to do was explain it and get over it. Let's move on. Um, short time after this, she and I get engaged. Um, I had let my walls down with her. I felt completely open to her and the aspect of finding true happiness and love. And you would think, all right, here we go from here. But no, I thought things were going to go back to normal. Like three, four months after this, it happens again, the exact same way. But this time she tells me, we're not going to let this go. You're going to take me to church. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm In my head, I'm thinking to myself, the only church I know of is the church I was born and raised in. Well, not born and raised in, but the church I used to go to that my ex's family still goes to. And it's a, it was an old school Pentecostal church where, you know, the women had to wear skirts. And if you wore pants or makeup or earrings, which she did all of the above. You kind of got looked down upon. 
so we go there you know I was like well this is the church I know you know my ex's family goes here she's like I don't care I'm like all right fine we go there's an outside preacher that comes in and he's preaching and he is bringing the word of God in such a way that I was like oh my goodness so as soon as he makes the altar call she's the first one on the altar bawling giving her life to the Lord I mean but when I say giving I mean giving her life to the Lord and I'm like what in the world and in the back of my head instead of thinking man this is beautiful I'm thinking man this changes everything this is probably going to ruin our relationship. I can't be with a girl that's in church and this, that, the other, because I was still so rebellious. Even though the people that were there loved on me when I got there, hugged me, cried on me, prayed for me, my heart was still hard. And I'm like, man, but now she has this encounter with Jesus, right? I'm thinking, oh man, what do I do now? I don't want to mess her up. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking all this crazy nonsense. She goes to church a few more times. Uh, you know, and I think she started, you know, she started feeling, aside from the initial joy of first giving your life to the Lord, she kind of started feeling the impact of the way people would look at her, uh, people that were close to her fam, to my ex's family you know, whatever would look at her weird and all this kind of stuff. So over time, she felt excluded. She didn't want, she didn't, She came to a point where we weren't going back anymore. Everything kind of died down. Things went back to normal. Um, we're getting ready to get married. Um, as we get closer to the, to the wedding date, uh, my nerves start kicking in, you know, because I start thinking, man, I've been through this once and it didn't go well. Even though she's a hundred times different, still, I had this fear. Um, so we're going through, we're making all the arrangements. We're getting married in Miami. All her family's in Miami and in Florida. So it made sense. Um, we, we went and we made all the arrangements. We were going to have a garden wedding. We were going to get married by a justice of the peace, right? And uh, I remember the day of the wedding. It's, I'm in a hotel room with my brother, my brother's best friend, which is also the guy that wanted to kill me previously, uh, my wife's brother, and we're all there and it's, you know, it's the day of the wedding and we were hanging out at the pool in the morning and then I was like, all right, guys, we got we to gotta start getting ready. And uh, I was like, I'm in the bathroom and I'm like, I'm getting ready, I'm changing, I'm shaving, I'm doing everything. And I remember this fear came over me. And I was like, man, what if everything goes wrong and this, that, the other, and all these things, like on the wedding day, I should be super excited and all these things were going in my head. Fear, doubt, you name it, everything and everything you can imagine. And I remember for the first time in years, I just got on my knees. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess her up. I haven't spoken to you and I don't know how long and I don't deserve for you even to hear me. But if at all possible, can you please tell me that you're still in this? 
tell me that you have something to do with this. So I was there, I composed myself. I left it at that. I got dressed. We went to the wedding. Um, everybody was there, you know, typical wedding ceremony. It's a justice of the peace, kind of a weird, uh, the way he did the, he did the whole thing. He was talking about how 50% of all marriages end in divorce and this, that, the other. And I'm like, oh man, oh man, this is going to be bad. And then he starts talking about love. And then at that moment, he says, I want to read something to you guys. I don't know why I want to read it, but I want to read it to you. And he starts reading 1 Corinthians 13. At that moment, I start bawling. And I'm bawling like, and people are looking at me like, oh, look how much he loves her. And this, that, the other. And I'm like, yeah, I love her. But you have no idea how much this means to me. Because I was, I felt like that was God's way of saying, I'm with this. I'm in this. Relax. So it was like God answering the prayer that I just made like a, an hour or two ago. Um, we go, we get married, right? We go to the honeymoon. We come back. We're doing fine. Um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my wife's aunt gets saved. Now, my wife's aunt has been like the black sheep of the family. And... Uh, she was on fire for the Lord. And I mean on fire, on fire. I mean, today she's a pastor and her husband pastor. But she comes to my house and she's like, hey, this, that, the other, I want you guys to come visit my church or a church she was going to. And I was, and my wife's like, yeah, I guess I'll go, I'll go, no problem. So I'm like, Babe, you could go. I'm not going to go, but you can go. I'm not going to stop you from going. Go. Enjoy yourself. You know, it'll be good. So she goes once. She goes twice. She goes three times. This is becoming a habit. She gets, she reconciles her life to the Lord. And I'm like, oh boy, this is different. Um, she's like, you know what? There's a, there's a preacher coming and I want you to go with me. She goes, if you don't want to go again after that, that's fine. But just come with me this one time. I'm like, you know what? Fine, I'll go. So that way I don't have to hear it anymore. You promise you're not going to ask me anymore. She's like, no, just come this once. That's it. I go. And of course, what they're preaching about is the prodigal son. And Throughout my running from the Lord, through all that time, I had, I had friends that would invite me to church and every once in a while I would go. It was always the prodigal son. They were always singing about the love of God. This night I go and they're he preaching about the prodigal son, this, that, the other. And I remember I started feeling that heart pumping in my chest like it was going to explode. It was like a nervous excitement that I hadn't felt in years. And I was there and I'm like, this is emotion. I got to get hold of myself. This is just emotion. And I remember 
closing my eyes. And I said, Lord, if you can forgive me and you are willing to change me and help me, then I'll go up front. I will reconcile my life to you. But if this is from you, I am not going. They're going to have to call me up there themselves. No sooner had that thought crossed my mind than someone was tapping me on the shoulder. And it's funny because there's a verse in the Bible that says, before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. And that person tapped me on the shoulder and they said, hey, they're calling you up front. And I looked around, I'm like, who? No, no, they're calling you up front. And I looked up front and the pastor just moved his finger saying, come here. I was like, uh oh. And I, I went up front and I remember God used the pastor in prophecy and told me clear as day, your time of running is over. There are souls being lost and you're wasting time. At that moment, I crumbled on the altar. I surrendered my life back to the Lord and I never looked back. God's mercy has been unbelievable in my life because I think about the things I've done, the people I've hurt in the process. And in all that, God was willing. I was thinking God's going God's to gonna crush me when I go back. But little did I know, God was there with his arms open, just like the prodigal son. That was my moment. And if I could leave you guys just with a, a little something here. It's, it's from Psalms 139. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light became night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. No matter what, and if and I don't I don't mean to get preachy, but if you're a backslider, if you're someone that feels you've been running from the Lord, God's hand is not too short to reach you. And his love is just waiting for you to turn around. And once you're repentant, he's there to greet you back. That's my story. Amen. Well, Horatio, that, that is such a good story to hear. I, I'm so encouraged by your story. Um, but isn't God so good that, you know, just, just like my story, um, but, you know, he pursued us. He, he, even though we're running, we're doing our crazy, he was still there. He was always there. And he put people, obstacles, um, issues, he put everything in the way so he can grab our attention. And as many times as we didn't pay attention to it, he was still there. And as, as much as we wanted to reject it, he was still there. 
And I'm so encouraged to hear your story today. Uh, it's, it's powerful. I'll tell you right now, I've enjoyed it. And I know those listeners out there that are listening um, will enjoy it as well, too. So thank you again, Horatio, for, for this time that you've allowed to share your story. And, and uh, until next time, you know, uh, we'll continue sharing your story. Many more people will hear of it. So thank you again, Horatio. Thank you so much.